Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 214. Another time, then. Recorded November 18th, 2015, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, of the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroach, and joining me this week is your friend and mine, Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hello, my friend. Hey, Mark, and I guess I'll be back Wednesday if we're recording this the 18th. Oh, did I? See, <laughs> darn it. I looked at the wrong thing. Recorded November 15th. Uh, see, I one of us, usually me, sometimes Seth, writes that whole thing out. Welcome to Everyday Linux, the episode this, title this, brought to you, and I just read it, Ron Burgundy style. But tonight, neither of us did. And so I'm picking out the different things in the document. I'm looking at the header for the title and the show number. And then I'm looking at the, 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 well, headers, the header of the page and then the header of the document where we have the record date and the air date. And I read the air date instead of the record date. So, uh, we'll see you guys in a few days. Um, I'm not sure when we'll release it if we're recording it then, but <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, good to be back with you. Uh, Chris is, uh, had a last minute work thing, uh, where he's not able to join us, but, uh, we will, he will be with us in spirit and, and I guess that's it. Uh, Seth, how are you to this week? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Um, how about you? You know, I can't complain. Well, I can, but nobody likes a whiner. Um, right. It's, uh, it's been a, it's the seasons are changing. Um, it, it stopped raining for about a, a week. So that's nice. Yeah, it is. Um, we've gotten some rain pretty much every weekend, you know, a couple of weekends ago we had the flood and then we had the mini flood and there was just a little <laughs> bit of rain this last weekend. So enough to kind of wet the ground, but not enough to like, you know, see animals two by two come by this time. I did want to start the show off by saying that uh, I donated this uh, this month uh, for the month of November in your name to the Wikimedia Foundation because let's face it, a, a significant percentage of the information we present to you on this show and present as if it were ours is read straight from Wikipedia. So we might as well kick them some some bucks in there. So I took the uh, the requisite ten percent of of the uh, the show income and donated this month to Wik- the Wikimedia Foundation. Go Wikimedia! Whoop whoop. And uh, I think it was last week or two weeks ago that they were doing their their drive, and they 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 do it right. You go there for just I think a week for just one week. They put a header on every page saying now would be a good time to donate, and then uh, if you if you have an account, they send you an email. So I saw that it worked. Pledge drives work because I I saw it. I thought well I need I need some place to donate this month anyway. So uh, if you're a Patreon supporter, if you're uh, uh, given to the tip jar, or if you're just a, 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 a customer of our two sponsors, you have uh, indirectly uh, contributed to the Wikimedia Foundation. So thank you for that. Yes, thank you. And uh, Seth, you are you're going to be independently wealthy before long. Yes, I have. Um, I'm trying to get back in the stock market. You know, I'm I'm following a modified Dave Ramsey approach to finances. I've got my debt in close, my debt under control. It's going down. Got a couple of months of money and savings. And what, what pushed me is I was reading this article talking about how the average American has over 60% of their assets in cash. And I thought, how stupid. And I thought, wait a minute, I have a hundred percent of my assets yeah. in cash. So, um, 
But, you know, I don't want to. So I researched, I joined Trade King. That's a discount brokerage house. It's like $4.95 a trade. Put some money in there. Of course, you know, they have to like approve your account and then they have to approve the bank account you link to. And then they put a hold on the funds to make sure they clear. And so I'm waiting for those funds to clear monitoring my stock saying, stay low, baby, stay low, because it's a real estate (laughs) investment trust that if I buy it at the price it is now, the dividend averages 13% a year and my savings account is 0.95% a year. And for any of the individually wealthy people who listen to the show, if you have $3,000 and open an account, I can send you a link and we can both make $50. So, yeah, so I, don't I, wanna... I, uh, I have a, a not insignificant sum of money uh, that came from an estate uh, several years ago uh, sitting in a uh, basic uh, money market type account. And I got the, the statement, the quarterly statement back. And I think my interest was $2.17. Um, yeah, it's, if you're getting 1% these days, you're, you actually got pretty good interest. Yeah. And so I'm at the point in my life where I have my car loan and my credit card debt was one of those things where it's set at this interest rate till it's paid off. So a rise in interest rates would do me good because my savings account would earn more money. So. Yeah. So, uh, good luck with that. I have never dabbled in the stocks. Um, I have a couple of, uh, uh, annuities, uh, that again, all, this is all estate stuff where a significant sum of money was left, but to a, a group of people. And, and anyway, uh, but I've never, I've never bought any stocks, um, largely because I've, I don't know anything about it. Right. I, I, I would be much better off, I think, giving my money to somebody and paying them a fee to invest it for me because I don't, I don't have the, the wherewithal that mainly the will to go out and actually do all the research necessary to make a wise investment. It's not that I don't have the time it's or the intellect. I just won't do it. See, I wanted to be once upon a time, my dream job was to be like a stock trader or stock broker type person. And so I pro- I know probably more about stocks than the average person, but, but much less than the average investor. So, um, you know, I'm taking money that if I lost it, it would it would suck that I lost the money, but it's not like it would wipe me out. So um, and I've done some research, but of course, there's always more research to do. And um, like I say, hopefully I can get in there and then I'm not like going to be trading. My goal is to buy and hold right. and get some dividends coming in. <clears throat> All right. Well, I did. Uh, I have an announcement to make. You know, we've been talking uh, at length uh, for the, the low these, these many weeks about the new show, uh, rebranding that's going to happen at the, uh, at the, the, the new year, the turn of the, the new year. But we have officially decided on uh, a show title. And, and here it is unveiling for you in episode 215. The new, the new name of the show. Uh, after- wait, so we're not saying it till next week? What? No. Sorry. This is 214. Oh my gosh. I'm just really off my game tonight. I apologize in advance. I'm just not. Um, <laughs> episode 214. Okay. Uh, so the, <laughs> the show title for the show is going to be Geek Rant. All one word. G-E-E-K-R-A-N-T. Geek Rant. We feel that it's a, a good, um, 
synopsis, a really quick, at a, at a glance, you get what we do here, right? We get geek, we get tech, we get uh, opinions. Um, and of course, that doesn't rule out uh, Linux. That doesn't rule out, uh, you know, all the things that we do. But uh, that's after much uh, debate back and forth. That's the one we've decided to go with. I know we talked about keeping the letters EDL, uh, but um, that just it didn't we couldn't make it fit. And we felt in the end that we were trying to make it fit. So we decided to go with something natural, and uh, Geek Rant just kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, and those of you who are Googling right now to see if we own the domain, no, we don't. But I don't own the Everyday Linux domain either, and it's been just fine for the last five years. So don't worry about that. Uh, but that's it, and we're looking for a tagline, right? So uh, Geek Rant, da 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 So this is where, once again, I tap the the collective hive mind that is the the Everyday Linux audience, future Geek Rant audience. Uh, Tell me what you think that uh, a synopsis sentence would be. Of course, we'll load metadata and all that sort of stuff in search engines so that you get Linux and you get all the other stuff. But that's it. And um, Seth, you have any comment on that? No, I was just, um, you know, I'm thinking that our first uh, Geek Rant episode will be a Linux distribution review. So, that would be uh, the ultimate in irony. Yes. Yeah, because, you know, since our Linux show isn't about Linux, once we change the name, we should make it Linux heavy for a while. <laughs> uh, but uh, in, in conjunction with that, uh, I've, I have been a fan of Fiverr, F I V E R R. Dot com. There's also a tenor.com for a long time. Basically you, you there's gigs, right? You say, uh, people say four or $5. I will do, Whatever, uh, I will read any text in a in a, a Texas accent. Uh, I will sing a, a song. I will make up a song about anything for five. Whatever, and uh, I have often turned not often. I have occasionally turned to them for graphic artwork because you get somebody in you know uh, Sri Lanka, um, and you know, it, and it's it's not they. It used to be five dollars. Now things go up, and uh, you you might have a uh, somebody who's uh, saying for fifty dollars I'll design a logo, um, and somebody in in a in a uh, le- less developed country than the U.S. fifty dollars is a significant amount of money. So whereas if you went to like ninety nine designs dot com something like that, you might be expected to pay. Anywhere between two hundred and fifty and and uh, fifteen hundred dollars uh, to get a good designer to di- design you a good logo. These guys are often professionals in their field, just you know doing this as a hobby, or they're professionals who work overseas uh, and and where you know this can can uh, be a significant amount of money. So I've been uh, getting logo ideas uh, for the last few weeks. Uh, from Fiverr.com, I've spent you know all together about a hundred bucks, and I, I didn't like any one of them. But, uh, you know, I took my uh, Photoshop skills and took what they gave me and mashed them all up into what uh, is the current front runner of our new logo. And I'll, I'll uh, unveil that uh, sometime in the future. Uh, if you follow me on Google+, Plus, one of the iterations I've already put up there. Uh, but anyway, uh, just if you need something done, if you're looking for somebody who is a professional in the field and who will do something cheap, Fiverr.com. Check them out. It's it's. Uh, I, I don't get anything for saying it. It's just a neat resource that I think is often underused. Yeah, and by the same token, you know, if you know someone or if you have like a high school age kid, you know, they can look there and do things. Possibly, right. you're not going to be able to make a full-time job but you could make a little pocket money there right and and it's focuses on internet deliverables but not always like if if the geographics are right it, you could be for five dollars i will go pick up your lunch and deliver it to you 
Um, you know, that there's, it's, there's, I don't know if there are limits. I haven't looked at it, but there seems to be no limit to, to what, uh, what people will do. I haven't seen anybody say, I will, I will, will do a porno for $5. Well, I'm sure there's some limits on there because if there weren't, somebody would have that up there. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's just something worth to check out if you're both buying or selling. If you've got a skill that is a part-time skill, that's an internet deliverable, there's, there's no reason you shouldn't set up a profile on Fiverr. Yeah, and Seth says here that you have uh, had a run-in with UEFI, everybody's favorite BIOS replacement. Yeah, I bought um, I bought a computer to replace the one that uh, I don't know, man. My there's something about my dad and computers; they he kills them. So, although you know, I did buy this one off of Craigslist a few years ago, so it lasted a few years. But I bought this new machine, and be, and I why. Are they selling computers with 5,400 RPM hard drives? You know, I understand you don't want to stick an SSD in there because those are still noticeably noticeable price difference. But when you can buy a one terabyte hard drive at 7,200 RPMs for $50, why not stick that in there instead of this crappy 5,400 RPM thing? So I bought this computer and a and a uh, SSD. So I get the computer, I unbox it, I open up the thing, I swap out the hard drive and I have a blank hard drive and then the thing won't boot off my USB key. Um, and of course I called the awesome people at Dell support who I just finally got fed up with them. And I said, is there anyone there who knows what they're doing and not reading the script? So he promptly transferred me to someone else who somehow accidentally hung up on me. And I was just Oops. like, screw it. Yeah. You know, it's not like I never did that exact same thing when I was on phone support. Every tech person has. Some of us just, some of them just don't admit it. So, and all they had to say was, if you would have, is the, the BIOS on there is out of date, get the latest BIOS. But they didn't, they didn't know what to do. So I had to put the other hard drive back in and, you know, go through the, I'm not going to link you to my Microsoft account, blah, blah, blah. I finally get there to where I can update the BIOS. And now if I want, I can stick the SSD drive back in there. So I hate you, Fee. If it was just plain old BIOS, I could have, you know, F12 because it's a Dell USB and then boot off my Windows USB key. But no, I had to swap back out the hard drive, update the BIOS. And now I don't know. I might just, I might just keep because I bought a 480 SSD. I might just keep that for myself and leave the one terabyte hard drive in there for my dad. You know, they don't, they don't need computers to be that fast. So yeah, he's not going to notice the uh, performance uh, problem at all. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, watching it'll take it a little bit longer to boot up. That's right. about it. Otherwise he, he's accessing Facebook. Uh, he, he's what? 80 ish years old. He's 78. Yeah. The seventy-eight year old guy isn't going to know the difference between a fifty-four hundred RPM and a seventy-two hundred RPM. Yeah, but fifty-four hundred and SSD—that's a big. Well, difference. that's a significant difference. Yes. So yeah, I might keep my SSD and um, just you know say, "Here you go, Dad." Yeah. Uh, for a five hundred gig or four hundred plus gig SSD, that used to be—I don't—I don't have anything that big because just like a year ago, those were prohibitively expensive, but now they're they're commonplace. It was like 120, I think. So because I got a decent deal. Oh, get this. It's a 21 inch all in one. 
it has a freaking battery in it. So it's a giant <laughs> it's a 21 inch tablet. No, it's a tablet. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, um, I was like surprised because I, you know, I, I forgot I had unplugged the power thing, but I plugged it in. I like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait, this thing's been going for like, it has a freaking battery <laughs> and it's a, it's an all in one and it's light enough that I could just be walking around with the 21 inch tablet. <laughs> Well, that's the new iPad Pro, right? <laughs> just about. You just bought an iPad Pro. All right, let's move on to our listener feedback. Start with uh, something unusual, uh, something our listeners don't usually do. David writes in to say that I'm wrong, um, and that's that's such a, a rare occurrence. I thought I'd give him right to, right to the beginning. Took us by shock. Yeah, it was surprising, so- truly. It says, Mark, you are wrong. When you said browsers will implement do not track features since websites aren't forced to do that themselves, I almost thought you were right, but I caught myself before it was too late. You are wrong because Firefox already has done this for private browsing in the latest version. Ha! Gotcha. Thanks for the great show, David. P.S. I didn't check the Firefox release date, so you might still be technically correct. Yeah, they, you know, of course, private browsing already doesn't track now they just when you go into private browsing it's like hey because you're in private browsing we've you know basically not tracking right it's just it's just not accepting cookies that's the simplest way to put it yeah yeah Uh, because they still they're still fingerprinting ways to get information from you know uh uh data from your hard drive there's there's all kinds of ways that people could track without a cookie but basically, when they when we talk about do not track, what we what we mean is tracking cookies, because the sneaky Pretty ways much. the sneaky ways are the sneaky ways, and they're short of introducing random bits of information. It, there's really no way to short circuit them. Right, and uh, teasing later on in our episode, we have a news story that directly ties in. Oh wow. And uh, moving on to our next one, Rick uh, uh, gives offers a little more comment on about the whole topic of holy wars. He says, back to the holy wars discussion of a couple episodes ago. I'm a bit behind, sorry. I think one thing that fuels our tendency toward holy war mentality is that each of us tries to make the best choices and tries to be right whenever we do. No one wakes up and says, I think I'll be wrong today. Once we make a choice, we're convinced that it was the right one. Democrats do. Uh, Sorry. Once someone disagrees with that choice, I think that deep down we see it as a reflection on us as our choices and not a matter of preference. Thus begins the holy war. And also, Chris brought up very, as Chris brought up, I think it was Seth actually, very few people are really capable of having a logical discussion. This is evident in our political process, food choices, economic choices, you name it. Whenever politics come up, I always say that I will discuss anything with anyone if they can do it logically, not with name calling and emotion. Rarely does that ever happen. But when it does, it's always intellectually invigorating. Thanks, guys. Rick. Um, there's actually some some studies done about that uh, in ter- in the whole brain science thing. Um, w- one that I read was was pretty fascinating. Was uh, people were given the opportunity to purchase very expensive art, and I don't remember if the money came from a grant or whatever. Um, but uh, people were given the opportunity to purchase. Uh, there were two things you could you could purchase one or the other, um, and half of the group, the moment they purchased it. They were given the option, like five minutes later, of changing their mind. You can keep this one, or we'll let you have the other one. And some of them did, and some of them didn't. Uh, the other half weren't given that option. And then they went back later, and statistically, 
uh, invariably. I mean, we're, we're talking 90 plus percent of the people who made the choice and weren't given the option to change it were happier with the choice they had made. The people who were given the opportunity to change it, uh, again, in very large percentages, felt they'd made the wrong choice. And and that goes to, to back our Brick's comment. Once we've made a choice and once we're stuck with that choice, we start to do everything possible to make sure that was the right choice. Uh, and we will contort logic in whatever ways to make that. There was another fa- fascinating study done where um, uh, basically they got people to, to, write, uh, to say a lie. Um, to read aloud, to repeat, and to write, I think, were the three things. A lie. Um, and what they found is that once somebody says it out loud, writing to a lesser extent, says something out loud, they begin to believe it. The, the cognitive dissonance there is such that we, we can't allow ourselves to say something that is wrong and not believe it. So if you could construct some sort of social context where you get some woman to say, you're the hottest man I've ever known, I want to marry you, even if it's a lie, if you get her to say that and go back later and ask her out, your chances of getting uh, a yes are, are higher because people people want to stick with the decisions that they've made, even if they were forced upon them. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, and those are just, just things that because <laughs> the only thing in this world I'm actually trained to do is is uh, uh, counseling and, and psychology. That's what my degree is in. I know these sort of things, and I keep up on the on some of the research about that. And so what Rick says, you know, what he uh, uh, said there goes exactly with with a lot of the things that I've read. Is is once we make a decision, um, we we will contort whatever we have to to make that decision the right way. And it seems to be even more powerful when that decision is thrust on us when we didn't. Uh, when we didn't have the choice, we 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 sort of create the illusion of choice in saying that we firmly believe it. That's why you might get some woman in a repressive anti-feminist uh, feminist regime uh, saying that she loves the repressive society and that the the burqa that she's forced to wrap herself in in a 112 degree desert is a beautiful thing and she loves it and it's it's a a symbol of femininity femininity and she wouldn't give it up. That woman has been had a choice forced on her and has contorted her own logic such that she believes that's the right choice. Um, that was a literal holy war in that case. But, you know, I think uh, the, one of the reasons I think that Mac people are so happy with their choices is because Macs are so expensive. You drop fifteen hundred dollars on a laptop, you're going to convince yourself it's the best laptop you've ever owned. Definitely. All right, that was fascinating. Uh, and then Tony uh, basically gave me a good excuse to talk about the Linux Academy. Uh, he says, good afternoon, guys. I was thinking of your proposed name change for Everyday Linux. I really don't see the point, as you're always completely forthcoming, that you discuss much more than Linux, and you admit that some episodes Linux is hardly mentioned. Yes, I only found your show years ago as I was searching for podcasts about Linux, but I quickly became a fan of the show, and now it's my favorite podcast, and I listen to several. For those of you who are offended that you don't discuss their favorite distro enough uh, to suit them, there happens to be a big red X at the top right portion of their browser. Uh, If you must change the name, how about Scintilla Linux? I'm happy either way. Have a great day, and I look forward to episode 213. So he's he's back a little bit. Uh, Tony Lewis. P.S. I've been a member of the Linux Academy for a long time because of you guys. Hence my opportunity to talk about the Linux Academy. But first, I will say, uh, Tony, uh, I appreciate your thought. And, and I think you're right. I don't think we're going to lose any of our current people just because we changed the name. 
but I do think it will allow us the opportunity to reach out to more people um, and and perhaps get people who wouldn't uh, be interested in a Linux show, but this isn't a Linux show. So the problem, I don't think that we're underserving our current audience. I think we're underserving our potential audience. Any comments on that, Seth? Yeah, no, I just, you know, we want to be... I don't want to lure people here under false pretenses. You know, if some people are coming for real Linux content, hey, occasionally we're very Linuxy, and you know, I think when we do our Linux content, we're as good as the other. Well, I we're as good to the market we serve as the other shows are to the market they serve. Hardcore Linux people aren't going to like us, but somebody who's just starting out in Linux probably aren't going to like the hardcore Linux people. So when we do Linux, we do it well, but it's just not fair for somebody who is looking for Linux and stumbles upon us, you know, they'll get it, but not in the uh, quantity that they were looking for. And so we just, you know, we want to be honest in advertising. All right. And um, having said that, Tony said he's a member of the Linux Academy because of us. So let me tell you about the Linux Academy, maybe because they won't want to sponsor us in the future and I got to make the most of it while I can. Uh, but LinuxAcademy.com is your place uh, where you can start your journey on an entirely new life. That There aren't a lot of websites, I think, that can I can say that about that. But I truly believe that that's true about the Linux Academy. Uh, by way of their step-by-step video courses, hundreds of them by this point, uh, they they offer information uh, about a wide range of not just Linux topics, but, uh, but you know, general technology topics, ranging from Amazon Web ser- uh, uh, Services to um, Ruby on Rails to so many other things now than just Linux. But Linux is at the core of, of what they do. So the step-by-step video courses give you uh, uh, created by professionals uh, in the field uh, who, uh, who, you know, who know what they do and know how to teach what they do. Uh, and, and, and accompanying those are PDF study guides. So you've got the written word and the spoken word and you can see it. But again, as I always say, every time I do these ads, my favorite part of it is their amazing lab infrastructure uh, that runs in Amazon's uh, uh, web services platform. So it's lightning fast and, and secure and you're guaranteed uh, high reliability in terms of uptime. And you can have up to four different machines. You can choose from eight different distros, have up to four running at any one time interacting with each other and interacting with the real world so that you can test a a server you can you can create your own sandbox so that they privately network with each other or you can turn them loose on the world and and see how they interact with you know uh, people out in the wild servers out in the wild Um, you can do all this from a safe environment and if you blow it up no big deal you hit the reset button you rebuild your machine and you start over again so i'm a big believer that the best way to learn is to break stuff and the the lab environment gives you a safe place to break stuff there's also, you know, a ton of online quizzes and pretests, and uh, there's several different methods to track your progress as you go, so that you'll never wonder what you've done and what you need to do. Um, if you tell them where you want to go, you tell their system that I want to to finish this course, um, and and I have three hours every other Thursday to do it. It'll create that syllabus for you, and send you an email on that every other Thursday saying, this is what you need to do. You need to watch these. You need to do these labs. It really is uh, a great way of, of going to, you know, to college online, but it's a, it's a specific guy. It's an academy, a Linux academy, if you will. Uh, and for all of this, for, you know, so little money, $29 a month is the most you can pay. That's their basic rate. If you buy one month, one month only is $29. Dip your toes in, see if you like it for the cost of a gourmet pizza. 
Um, if you're happy that you find it, you, you think that you're going to like it, you're going to stick around for a while. Now it's time to buy in bulk and save. Three months is only $69, or if you buy for a year, it's $229, which breaks out to about just under $19 a month. Nine, 20, less than $20 a month for something that could change the path of your career. I, I just can't understate how how powerful that is. And I, you know, I have people, members of this audience, tell me, that I was this and now I work in the tech field and I credit a lot of that to the Linux Academy. And that's why I'm proud to show for them week after week. And if you go and you use the code everyday Linux, you won't even pay those prices I just mentioned. You get lower prices because when they when they've raised their prices, when they've had things, they have kept things the same for our audience. So everyday Linux, uh Linuxacademy.com, use the code everyday Linux and you'll get a discount over all the prices that I just said. Yeah, you know, one of the cool things, you know, there's the old saying, uh, learn one, do one, teach one, mm -hmm. because if all you ever do is just learn, uh, then you don't ever do it. And so the cool thing that sets them apart is in addition to the different ways of presenting the material, the, the PDFs, the online community and this, the actual videos, which they started, then you have the, the web and the man. I can't talk. I'm so sorry. <laughs> my, my train has it left before I was ready, but you have the lab where you can go in and you can figure out how it works, why it works. You can figure out how to break it and then how to stop breaking it. So it becomes a complete trade school. I mean, this is really an online trade school at super and cheap is the wrong word, but you definitely get the bang for your buck. If, if you don't want to, if you don't want to shovel asphalt in the Texas summer to make a living, then, you know, you can, you can click with a mouse and learn some stuff and then get yourself a job in the air conditioning. <laughs> there you go. I, anytime I have to sweat uh, at work for whatever reason, I always say I went to college, so I don't have to sweat. Why am I doing this? That's um, right. And there's, we need people who sweat for a living. I just don't want to be one of them. Right. So let's jump on now to the the topic of the show. Um, I'm not sure uh, how the title fits in with this at all, but it's what Seth called it, so I'm going with it. Uh, but uh, th this is an article from the E-Commerce Times. So last week we had the Washington Post, this week the E-Commerce Times. And it's a story about a lawsuit leveled against Amazon, specifically Amazon Prime Now. So uh, Amazon Prime Now, or APN, as they call it throughout the, the article, is their limited test market same-day delivery service. So if if two-day delivery on Prime isn't good enough for you, Prime Now, you can order a pair of shoes in the morning and go running in them in the afternoon. They promise somewhere between two and six-hour delivery, which is pretty amazing. Um, it's, a, it's a small market, but the way they do it is by having a... a um, a large group of contractors and they uh, contract with uh, a single company and then that single company hires independent contractors and the problem is uh, Scoobies the company uh, that they the hired um, to to be their contractor um, the 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 employees think they think that they work for Amazon. They wear Amazon uniforms. They they have Amazon uh, you know name tags. But they they work for Scoobies, and they feel that fear that they're getting the short end of the stick. And in the when the the lawsuit all came down, um, the judge agreed with them. That's my rough synopsis. Seth, take it from there. Okay. Well, yes. Um, so the thing is, uh, I brought it out here. The terms of the plaintiff's employment would be covered by the contract 
between Amazon and Scooby's uh, under num- normal practice. Um, Amazon, and so the thing is, Amazon makes the decision of who is scheduled for when. And so even though they're employed by a different company, they're doing Amazon's work. I look at this as I've worked as a temp before um, in a company, you know, um, and so I was my boss worked for that company and he set my schedule, but I wasn't his employee. I was the employee of a temp agency. I wasn't an independent contractor. I was an employee of the temp agency. Um, and, you know, so as an employee, there's certain benefits your employer has to offer. But of course, if you're an independent contractor, you're just kind of given some money and told to do whatever. So it's one of those Amazon wants the the price savings of not having to pay benefits for employees so they want to go independent contractor but they want to maintain an employer's level control of saying sorry you can't work on this contract or you get you know you get four 10-hour days between the hours of eight and six and fit your lunch in sometime there off the clock um so you can't you know, an independent contractor means that they are not necessary for the functioning of your business. They augment, they aren't, they don't provide your business. So you can't have, you can't order an independent contractor around like an employee because the independent contractor can say, I'm independent. I don't have to do that. Um, whereas if this happens, if they say, I don't have to do that, then there's Amazon would say, you're right. You don't have to do anything. You're not working here anymore. So it's one of those. I think I see this has really kind of America in a nutshell. You have, you have the corporation who wants to make money. I mean, that's what a corporation does. It, it exists to make money. I don't have a problem with that. But, you know, at the same time, we have employers who want an empl- we have people working who want cheap services. Everybody wants the cheapest thing possible, but they want to make the most amount of money possible. So something has to give here. Either, you know, it becomes a nation of poor people uh, doing nothing or a nation where everything is expensive because everybody gets paid for everything. I don't know yeah. how it works out. I, th- I think the c- the crux of this argument here, the Scoobies uh, Amazon thing, is that... Um, the employees felt that there was too much direct control exerted from Amazon, that they were treated for all intents and purposes as if they were uh, Amazon employees, but not given the benefits of being an Amazon employee. Uh, in my line of work, we we hire consultants on a pretty regular basis. If we <clears throat> have a project that needs to spin up and we don't have the manpower, we go out and we hire a consultant for you know, uh, anywhere from two months to two years. Uh, and that consultant works for a consulting firm. He doesn't work for us, but he's got an, an, a name badge. You know, he's got an employee number. He's got an AD account. He's got, uh, he has to, to show up on the hours when we work and he has to follow our dress code for, and, and my manager gives him tasks and he replies back to those, uh, those tasks, you know, for all, uh, practical purposes, he's an employee of the team, except that his paycheck doesn't come from my company. His paycheck comes from the consultant uh, company, and my company pays the consultant fee. Um, and and I don't, I don't see how this this delivery drivers thing is any different than what I just described, the independent consultant thing. 
Well, because the, your independent consultant was an employee of a different company, not an independent contractor. So Scooby's doesn't claim ownership of these people either. Is that right. what you're saying? They're just yes. a management company only. Pretty much. And so what happens is, well, you're working for Amazon, so you're not our employees. And Amazon's like, you didn't, we didn't hire you, therefore you're not our employees. And what happens is, you know, I have no problem with doing the work of an independent contractor because typically if your working has an independent contractor, your rate is significantly greater than somebody who's working has an employee because the company provides benefits to the employee, whereas the independent contractor just gets paid cash or, you know, check, deposit, gold bullion, whatever you agree upon. So, you know, they're paying them as cheap employees, but not giving them the benefits of cheap employees. They're paying them as cheap independent contractors dictating their workflow. Yeah, and your point uh, to this is not the specifics of this case, but the the mentality that we've t- discussed many times here before, the the I want it all uh, and I want it for free mentality. Um, right. So, you know, I, I just, I think this is, this highlights the, the problem in, in American culture today. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, my my arguments are swirling around in my head, and I can't latch a hold to them. You know, and the thing that makes me stop is because they almost sound socialistic um, or communistic. So the you know you have Amazon wants to exploit a loophole technically to get away with paying people low prices for the services they render. Um, but at the same time, they want to turn around and demand of those people the level of control that is reserved for an employee. And if you're an employee, you're due certain benefits. But if you're an independent contractor, you just show up when you want. Um, and so you can't demand somebody work this schedule without paying them the rate of an independent contractor or providing them the benefits that an employee gets. So my, you know, my um, red state response to that is that, you know, they can do it as long as the market will bear it. Um, And, you know, one of one of the things that you've uh, opined recently is that in this country, especially, we've allowed uh, capitalism to be synonymous with greed. Uh, and and in this case, there is sort of that free market thing. I'm going to take as much as I can take. And do as much as I can get away with, and the market will. If the market will bear it, so be it. Um, and and I get your point. There is also something to be said for being a reasonable uh, employer and being you know responsible for your employees and and for the the impact that your business has. But this all comes down to me. I'm the problem. Uh, I'm the one who um, uses Amazon Prime. Uh, like you know, like it's easier to buy something from Amazon Prime than it is to put it on a shopping list. Um, Literally, it's it's easier to go to the Amazon app than to go to my grocery store uh, list app and then later pick it up. So I'm part of that problem because I might four days, four times in a day, order something. Um, whereas if I'd order them only once, they'd all come in one box maybe. So I, I get that. I'm causing the problem and I want it as cheaply as possible. And I, I, every time I sort by lowest price first. So I am the problem that causes these Scoobies people to have to be dumped on. So I, I get where you're going there from the larger so, social context uh, that that we as a as a nation we want everything and we want it free, 
Um, but I'm not sure that I'm seeing, you know, yes, Amazon is, is a poor company to work for, but these people didn't have to do that job. They, they're independent by nature. They could have gone anywhere. Yeah, I, I see that, you know, and I'm not saying, I don't remember the name of the company who said, I'm going to pay everybody $70,000. You know, I'm not that guy because, you know, if you pay everybody $70,000, then why should anybody do any work if they're going to get well, paid? I, I think maybe what you're talking about is Ben and Jerry's. They had a, a an employee that they had an idea that the highest paid employee would not make more than, say, 10 times what the lowest paid. I don't know what that exact number was, but they had a metric. And they found that they could not get a quality CEO for what they were offering. And they couldn't afford to pay people only a tenth of what the CEO was making. Um, right. No, but there was this guy, I think it was in Portland or Seattle who had a company and he was like, I'm going to pay everybody this basically set pay. And it turned out to be very disastrous for his company uh, to do that, you know, and I I don't think that because people should make the level of income that they're worth, you know, a company isn't going to hire you if it costs you more than the income or the service, the value they get out of you. But at the same token, you can't get away with paying peanuts. So. Well, is that not the same problem that we have in the open source world where people feel an entitlement about something that they neither pay for nor contribute to? Well, definitely, you know, and that's part of what led us to do our 10% is because we realize we're reaping these benefits, but we don't pay for it. You know, it's, I don't, I don't buy apps because I don't see the value in them because there's free ones out there. And then I complain about the advertising. So I understand I'm part of that problem too. Um, but you know, I don't know if we all see we're all part of the problem, but we're okay with it. Then I think that says something even worse about society. Right. Right. It, it's, I recognize that I'm part of the problem, but I really hope those other people will fix the problem that I'm a part of. Uh, there's a fellow on YouTube. His name is Chase Holfelder. Um, and, and I've got a point. Trust me. Okay. Um, and he has a YouTube channel called Major to Minor. And he takes uh, standard upbeat songs and changes them to a minor key and, and plays the song and totally changes the the uh the tenor of it i may have mentioned him on the show before i'm not sure but like uh he takes uh wake me up before you go go and turns it into a heart-wrenching uh soulful ballad just by changing the key of it and changing the arrangement a little bit um major to minor check it out it's it's fast but anyway i support him on patreon um, I give him uh, a, a certain amount of money every time uh, he produces a new video because I'm a big believer in Patreon. Uh, and, you know, I think that if a side note here, one of my favorite podcasts recently suffered the the dreaded pod fade. They were producing weekly, then they were producing not always weekly, and then it stretched out to month and then they just kind of they went away. And if you to go back to this whole thing of, of being responsible for what you want. The single best way to make sure somebody doesn't pod fade is to pay them through Patreon, through a tip jar, uh, because I, I now have financial incentive incentive because of our advertisers and because of our Patreon uh, um, uh, supporters to do a show. If I don't do a show, I lose a revenue stream. And the larger that revenue stream gets, the more compelled I am to do a show. So... That another one of those things, if you're going to complain about something, put your money where your mouth is. But anyway, Chase Holfelder did a song um, by One Direction. 
and his version of it was haunting and beautiful, but clearly I have no idea what the original One Direction song sounds like. I'd, I'm not sure I've ever heard a One Direction song. Maybe I have in a mall somewhere, but I didn't know it was One Direction. So I start. I, I did a, a search for this song by One Direction to see. I wanted to listen to the original song to right. see what he had changed it, uh, how much he had changed it. And I couldn't find it. There were all sorts of uh, videos that people had posted on YouTube, but they had done DMCA takedowns or or like uh, YouTube will do if they detect a copyrighted track is they'll just mute the audio. So there's a video there with no audio to it. Um, and I searched for, I didn't put a lot of effort into it, but maybe 10 or 15 minutes looking for the original version of this song so I could compare it. And I couldn't find it. And I was seething in my own mind like this is ridiculous that there is no way that i can listen to this song there's no way i can do it they've they've been so ridiculous about uh restricting their rights that the the shows the the song's not out there and i can't listen to it if i want to and then i thought you idiot you can go to itunes for 99 cents and pay for it all this this uh, high horse crap you just did spouting in into the air about how they're being uh, ridiculous and cheap because you can't listen to their hard work for free. What a twit! I, I, that's that's the conversation I had with myself. So and and I was sucked into that. I'm I'm just as guilty as anybody else because I wanted what I wanted and I didn't want to pay for it. And I got so mad when I couldn't get it for free that I thought it's ridiculous that these guys are a bunch of jerks that they won't let me steal from them. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I, I totally understand that because whenever the whole reason I bought that, um, 480 gig SSD drive again, remember I'm, I'm the super cheapskate. It's because I, I, I bought that computer for my dad and that hard drive using money I earned off of this podcast. So it wasn't, you know, and to me, I count this income as it's my playing money. So I can just kind of do whatever. And, I, you know, so it was the incentive for me to go out and buy something I normally wouldn't buy because I had the extra money that came in through here. So because I had it and I wanted it, I was able, I was able to go get it. And, um, you know, yeah, there's, what do we do? Do we just, do we just complain or do we stop complaining and pony up the cash? to really live the stuff we say offends us or or what happens what happens to commerce if i, I don't know it yeah, just so, i think there's a lot of questions here so in my in my major to minor story i paid chase holfelder for his work why would i not be willing to pay one direction for their work but right. for some reason i wasn't i was completely unwilling because it's not i just wanted to hear it one time Right. And I, and I, I didn't want to pay the 99 cents. And, and I'm sure I could probably find it on the Google Play Store. I, I said iTunes just because I'm sure they're there. Um, but that this mentality of, of entitlement and, and what's the, the blonde chick who's really country, but not country, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Yeah. Uh, you know, she made this point a few months back and got big, uh, big, uh, news play out of it saying, my music is worth money and I'm not going to offer it to Spotify for free and and so you know amazon 
<laughs> there uh, we've sort of gone way off from, from the story here but it's the same mentality the mentality is that we want what we want and there's no reason we should pay for it and and we in the open source community we we linux users we open source zealots uh, not only are is that a, a thing that we're known for but it's 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 almost a stereotype that we're so unwilling to pay for things. That's why, in fact, it's it's really hard for a Linux podcast to get sponsors because people say, "Well, Linux people don't pay money; they don't they don't buy anything. Open source people don't buy anything." And yes, stop writing, stop talking right now about the humble bundle. Yes, that's the one exception where the Linux guys um, always pay more. But literally, that is the one exception. Open source guys and tightwads go hand in hand. The the free is in and speech and the free is in beer go hand in hand so much that people are afraid that they can't make money. They're not afraid, they really can't. The our door guy who wants to work four time a full time on this really high quality uh, digital audio workstation says he makes like twenty grand a year off of of open source people. No no coder can live in America on twenty grand a year. So it's it's the same mentality. It's that same. I want it all, and then I want it now, and I and I don't want to pay anything for it. And the end result is you gotta you gotta pony up the cash or do without. Amazon, also, Amazon isn't forced to, but but they're in a situation right now where these employees are interchangeable Lego blocks. One quits, they replace them with another. No 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 harm no foul. And it's not until they band together and filed this class action ish lawsuit. That it that it's going to matter at all, and and I think that Amazon the problem the reason Amazon got there is not because they're a big bad evil corporation, but they're a corporation made up of greedy Americans. Yeah, you know, and again, it's it's because they're they well, are they being too be too greedy? Does can this model work with how much is the Amazon Prime membership? Hundred bucks a year. Okay, can this model work off a hundred dollars a year membership, or will that have to be two hundred so that the um, so that the um, not independent contractors but employees can make a decent wage? And, and then I think Prime now is an extra fee. I'm, oh. I'm googling that now. I think that Prime is a hundred dollars, and Prime now is another fee. Um, I'm trying to see. Well, I should have done my, uh, so yeah, there is, there is an extra fee. I don't know if it's an annual fee or a per order uh, fee, but there is a fee for Amazon prime now. Um, so, but so they recognize that prime isn't, isn't enough to pay for prime now, but you know, and I think maybe that's why we've had the, the, the news stories recently about wanting to do drones and that sort of stuff. They want to take the humans out of it and they want to automate that delivery because people are too expensive. Yeah, um, you're reading a web page right now. Uh, well, yeah, I'm I'm trying to find it cost. So, um, <laughs> uh, Sacramento, oh, so Phoenix, a- Las Vegas uh, are new cities that have just come. I'm I'm reading yeah. Amazon's web page. So um, apparently, you pay more for Prime. Like, I don't know if it's an additional charge, but I think you pay the shipping for it. Right. Um, Prime now delivery is eight dollars. So okay. So. They they promise uh one or two hour delivery. So let's let's say one hour. Okay. And it's an eight dollar fee. So they're essentially paying that guy eight bucks an hour. Well 
you know, and in California, the minimum wage there is, I think, 10. So they have to have enough deliveries in an hour to, for his to fill up, go make the deliveries and come back. So, you know, you've got to have, there's not going to be Amazon Prime Fruitvale, Texas, you know, Prime Now <laughs> Fruitvale, unless everybody in the town is ordering stuff every hour on the hour because there's just the population or it, it would be a $400 delivery charge to make it from a warehouse in Dallas. So it, this is only going to be major metropolitan areas and, you know, where the population density is enough to justify it. So, you know, it's kind of a, a boutique type situation. This isn't going to impact the mainstream, but the precedents it sets could possibly impact it. Yeah. And it's, uh, I don't, it's, it's kind of hard for me. This is where my capitalism and my, my socialism collide here. It's kind of hard to say that a guy who, who drives a truck and makes local deliveries is worth more than $8 an hour. Um, but at the same time, you know, the fact that there were enough of them who were unhappy about it, that it, it, uh, that it sponsored this lawsuit indicates that, that, that the market isn't bearing that, right? So the, I think the minimum wage, uh, in, in across the U S I don't even know. That's how, it's that's how white privilege. Yeah. Seven, seven ish bucks, right? Seven twenty five, And then different States have, have their own uh, thing, but say here in Atlanta, if I'm a if a local delivery driver, um, pizza, I'm delivering Domino's. I'm not going to be expected to make more than eight dollars an hour. Um, so you know, so at that point, I'm I'm kind of willing to totally dismiss this argument because if you're if you're an unskilled and whether you agree with me or not, uh, local delivery is considered unskilled labor. Uh, all you need is a, a driver's license. Um, and so it's, which is something that almost everybody over the age of 16 has. So you're not, you're, you're drawing from a vast pool of, of high school kids working after hours to make some extra money to elderly people, uh, supplementing their, their retirement income. There's no shortage of people who will drive a car. Um, that's why Domino's, you know, rarely has trouble filling their, their delivery drivers. And they're so expendable that if a guy has a wreck or is bad one time, you just fire him and hire another one. They're, as I said earlier, interchangeable Lego blocks. So it, it, from an, from Amazon's point of view or from Scooby's, the, the independent contractor point of view, it, it's hard for me to see how these people are worth benefits or how they're worth uh, all the things that a full-time salaried employee would get. They're just not doing a job worthy of benefits. Well, here's the thing. If you're paying somebody $8 an hour, then, you know, your cost to the company is probably something like 16 because there's taxes right. and whatever that you have to pay. Whereas if you're paying an independent contractor, eight dollars an hour then all of a sudden that independent contractor has to turn around and pay those exact same taxes making his income lower than what somebody who was an employee making the same wage would be and so if you're going to have an independent contractor then typically you pay them almost twice the hourly rate what your employee is getting so again, I, you know, without knowing the specifics, are they trying to pay independent contractor employee level wages? But just if they're doing that, then that is wrong. But if they're paying them above 
delivery market wages, then maybe this is a case of money grabbing people trying to get something for nothing. I, so, I think my, my assumption is, and I, I don't know the data, I think they're just paying the minimum wage. And that is by law all they're required to pay them. That's what the word means, minimum wage. But that's minimum wage to an employee, not to a contractor. But there, there is no there is no different there is no distinction under US law as to, to what minimum wage is versus the job. Minimum wage, uh, with a few exceptions, like waitresses. Uh, right. There are certain jobs where the minimum wage doesn't apply. But right. contractor status doesn't doesn't come into that, does it? Well, but no, the thing is, if you're playing an employee, you pay half of their Social Security and other things like that, whereas they pay all of their Social Security right. and, then, and their taxes. And so they don't have as much income has an employee making that same wage yeah i i get that and i i see your point but from i, I you know i'm putting on my cold capitalist hat and um if i'm i've just blanked on the guy's name the ceo of of amazon bezos um, isn't it? jeff bezos right if i'm him my response to that is it's not my problem you want the job or you don't Okay, but again, that's not your capitalist hat. That's your greed hat with the word capitalist in tape over it. So, and that's the problem with the culture today. Mm. So, so Bezos should make a decision that is the poorer decision for his company because it's the nice thing to do? No, he should focus on his employees getting a better class of employees who then turn around and are better spokesmen and make the company more money. I don't know. I'm I'm having a hard time seeing that. Um, I, I because you're talking about the lowest. Let's take it away from Amazon now. Now let's move it to McDonald's. Uh, those guys make minimum wage to say, "Would you like fries with that?" And nobody says it's not hard work. It's not skilled work. Anybody can do it. So it's another interchangeable Lego block things. Uh, are those and those guys? Now I know what you're going to say. You're going to say they're employees and they're getting the the. Uh, the taxes with uh, held for them and all that sort of stuff, uh, but so is your you're all about the fact that if we're not paying into Social Security, we should be giving them extra money. Is that your whole point? Well, you know, to get if you want to switch it over to the McDonald's thing, I you know there there's somebody who isn't worth five cents an hour because the manager has to do their spend more effort getting them to do their job than if they just did their job versus there are people who are worth $20 an hour to the company because of how well they do their job. So, and you know, when I was a manager at a McDonald's and this was back in the early two thousands, there was an employee there who I don't know what she got paid, but I know she was worth at least $15 an hour because that's the amount of work she did. And then there were other people who weren't worth $2 an hour, but they still made the minimum wage because that's what you got paid. So again, I don't know how much they're getting paid, but you can't, you can't, ex you can't treat an independent contractor like an employee and get away with them being an independent contractor. See, so, I, I have long believed that the minimum wage should be zero or, or one penny. That that's, by definition, the minimum wage, and that everybody should be paid what they're worth. Um, and you let the free market decide what they're worth. If you can find people to dig ditches uh, in the 100-degree heat for $20 a day, then the market will bear that. 
If the market won't bear it and you have to pay him $200 a day, then that's what the market will bear. Uh, and, and I know that's, that's cold hearted, right? It's, it's, it's the logic side of, of my brain, uh, overruling the compassion side of my brain. Um, but there are people who, like, like you just said, working at the lowest end jobs who aren't worth what they're getting paid. Um, and, you know, and we, we preach so many bad things in this country, uh, uh, aphorisms like follow your passion. No, no, follow the market and bring your passions with you. Um, uh, get, get a skill set, become good at something, but make sure that something that you become good at is marketable. Um, you know, I've never been a fan of supporting art for the sake of art. Um, if you want to make art for the sake of art, you go do that. If you want to eat, you paint, uh, billboards and do commercial art. You still get to do art, but you still get to eat. And those are individual choices that each individual person has to make. And I think to, to, to try to put this societal pressure on, on buoying certain um, people who aren't worth what they're getting paid out of compassion, I think it's wrongheaded and it's, it's, a, it's a negative overall effect on society. You end up with this, this, this group, this entire strata of the workforce that is being supported by the fact that they literally can't make less. And therefore, there's no reason for them to put out any effort at all. You know, there's and to say there's no truth from that side would be just as just as um, would be just as wrong as to say that's the way it is, because at some point, the government has to be there to keep people from abusing to keep companies from abusing their employees because in your market everybody who is in charge of ditch digging can get together and say we're not going to offer anybody more than 50 cents a day to dig ditches and because that's the only game in town they're going to have to do it well and that's exactly the way things were in this country in the late 1800s and unions came about to break that up because uh, the government wasn't involved so the people said we're not digging your ditches and and so you know history will would repeat itself and people would unionize and they would band together and they would force uh changes um that is the good side of unions uh now unions have become bloated ticks on the on the dog of society uh but they they served a purpose then and they could serve the purpose an, uh, again if need be yeah no they could but yeah so i, I don't know the i don't know the answer um, but I just, you know, like I say, I've, hopefully we got some good debates out of this and make, <laughs> if we made people think about the issue and to see, to just consider the issue, it would be my goal from this story is if somebody said, wait a minute. And then if they stopped and if they thought about it, rather than I, I was watching a, a new show, um, I, I avoided the clickbait for a while, but finally, um, <laughs> it was, I, I couldn't help it. Um, but I was watching this person who looked, looked like they were maybe 19, acted as if they were five, uh, talking about how they deserved a free college education and that it was the 1% job to pay for their education and not just their education, but everybody's education. And I, I just was threw like, up in my mouth a little. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, wait a minute. You're saying that because somebody has money, we have to take their money so you can go get a um, underwater basket weaving history of Bolivia uh, degree and feel good about doing social work, which I know we need social workers. But at the same token, uh, 
Why don't you work for your college? I mean, if you want to say college is overpriced, I'm all for that. But to think that you deserve it because somebody else has a lot of money is ridiculously stupid. Um, But if somebody will look at this and go, hey, wait a minute, what what is the minimum wage? What are these people getting paid? Um, Why? You know, what is the details of this lawsuit? And am I contributing to the ills of society. So hopefully we can at least get somebody turned in that direction. So to do that whole college thing there, you know, Seth, you were there, you know, when I was in college, I went from job one to job two and then went from job two to school and, and went from school back to job one and went from job one to job two and sleeping didn't really happen much in there at all. Um, and I came out of, uh, out of college with about $6,000 in debt total. Um, I finally got to the point where I just had to take some loans. Like there were classes that I had to take and they were only offered it at certain times and I couldn't work during those times. For, so for the last, I think, semester, I had to not work and live on loans. But the rest of the time, I worked my sizable derriere off. Um, and so absolutely it's possible. Um, it's just hard and people aren't willing to do hard things. Um, so to you know, sort of wrap this whole conversation up, I, if you're in the business of paying people, you should pay them what they're worth, not because it's good business sense, because it's a good human sense. If you're in the business of being paid, you should be worth what you're paid, not because it's good business sense, but because it's good human sense. If you make $8 an hour, put in $8 worth of work. And if you want to make $16 an hour, show them $16 worth an hour worth of work. And you will get promoted. Amen. And if you don't get promoted, then you'll get hired somewhere else. Exactly. So, yeah, you, you know, do more work than what you make and you'll always be making more money. Right. Do less. Show work. up early, stay late and work the whole time you're there and you will stand out above 80% of the people around you. All right. I, I, I had no idea. I told Seth coming in, I'm not sure that there's any meat on this bone. I don't know how long we could do that. And we did like a 45 minute discussion on it. Um, so let's just do a couple of news stories. Pick your top two, Seth. Do we want to continue to pick up, uh, pick on Amazon? Uh, I tell you what, Mark, why don't you talk to us about, uh, digital ocean? And I'll pick out a couple of news stories. Ah, that was smooth. That was smooth. Uh, so <laughs> DigitalOcean is one of the guys, uh, who helps me, uh, pay for the show. It gives me incentive, not incentive not to pay, uh, Podfade. Uh, DigitalOcean, um, is, uh, you've heard me talk about them. I think you could probably do the ad for me, you, the listener at this point. Uh, they offer, um, uh, hosted, uh, virtual machine services. So if you need a full on server and shared hosting isn't good enough for you, but you don't need iron, you don't need to own a, a, a piece of machinery in somebody's rack, uh, then virtual hosting is, is exactly that, that niche for you. And, you know, a lot of people can get by with shared hosting and a lot of people need more than virtual hosting, but there's this wide middle there where virtual hosting is the perfect tool. And DigitalOcean is one of the, if not the leaders, uh, in, uh, in virtual server hosting. They, they run everything on KVM, which is close to bare metal performance as you can get. All of their machines are high quality machine built on hex core processors with dedicated ECC RAM. Everything is SSD. Uh, all their, their storage is SSD, uh, high quality RAID SSD, RAID so it's dependable SSD for its fast 
uh, for its speed. You can spin up a droplet, what they call a, a virtual machine, in less than a minute. Uh, and I've, I've done it more than one time. Uh, I think the longest it ever took me was 55 seconds, depending on what was there. And, and that, that spinning up can be done uh, with with just a click of a button. If you want Drupal, you, you drop down to the pre-install button, you literally click the Drupal button, 55 seconds later, you will be ready to log into your Drupal box. Uh, I don't care who you are, that's pretty impressive. Uh, you want old clown, you want WordPress, whatever. They've got all these things there. But if you just want, give me a Fedora box and leave me alone, they'll do that. Um, and you get uh, a terabyte of internet speed, uh, a terabit rather, uh, sorry, gigabit. <laughs> Let me I use the right word. Gigabit internet uh, on all their network interfaces. You can have pri- pri- uh, private networking if you want it. Uh, there's an API. If you don't want to really interfere, uh, interface with the server, you're not a server guy, but you need a server. The API for developers is great for that. Uh, and their costs are there. You're just not going to find this quality for this price anywhere else. Uh, you might, you might find people on par with them, but you're not going to find better. Uh, $5 a month. You can get started for $5 a month. That gives you half a gig of RAM, a single core processor, 20 gig SSD, and a terabyte of transfer for the month. That's going to host your basic WordPress, WordPress blog. That's going to be, um, you know, uh, if you, if you say you want to, uh, run just a WordPress blog, but you're interested in security, you want to run a forum, but you, you need SSL certifications, you're not going to be able to get SSL on a lot of shared hosting. You need your own machine. Five bucks a month right there is going to do it for you. Uh, the, the next up, which I think is kind of the sweet spot for the most people, it would be, it would be the sweet spot for me, the $10 a month, uh, machine, a gig of RAM, a, a one core processor, 30 gigs of hard drive space and two terabytes a month of transfer. Uh, and if you go over your transfer, it's a soft cap. They charge you for it. They let you know that it's coming. They're not going to cut you off. So if you get, you know, reddited or you get, uh, you know, the dig effect, which dig isn't really the big thing anymore, uh, you're, you're not going to get crushed, uh, because you've suddenly exceeded your bandwidth. But you don't actually have to pay the $5 a month or the $10 a month if you use the code Everyday Linux when you sign up. They'll give you $10 worth of credit just because they believe in their product that much. I am so big on companies that give you a chance to try their product at no cost because that shows that they believe in their product. And I believe in their product, and that's why I'm pitching it to you. So if you use the $5 a month machine and use their $10 credit, you get two months of playing around with a server at no cost to you. You can't go wrong. There is literally no way to lose out on that deal. So check them out, digitalocean.com. Use the code EverydayLinux, and you get a $10 credit when you sign up. I use them. Uh, I recommend them. Uh, even if they weren't paying me, I would still do both of those things. Digitalocean.com. Use the code EverydayLinux. You know, Mark, um, this is kind of an old adage, and so, uh, but it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert at something. So, you know, maybe it takes 10,000, maybe it takes less, but the fact of the matter is most overnight successes were years in the making, you know, before they became an overnight success. With digital, with DigitalOcean, you could become an overnight success years later because you took the time now to learn running a blog, to learn running a web server, to run running a website. And it's not like you're having to do a second mortgage to pay for your web hosting bill. You have affordable prices here uh, where you can go in and get it done. And, you know, again, if you want to, if you want to get in the field, here is a great entry point for you to do it. Yeah. And if you, if you want to run a, you know, a web server for your dog walking service, 60 bucks a year for your own server. You just, 
You can't beat that. You just can't. I pay more than that for my shared hosting. And I'm in the process of moving off of shared hosting onto virtual hosting because the the cost for value is there. I do want to follow up a little bit. We talked about the FCC uh, and and the the ruling that it's not a law yet, but it's something the recommendation there uh, that is going to say that you can't um, uh, allow Wi-Fi routers to be uh, software editable. That I'm really just super um, uh, over uh, glossing over that. Uh, well, the FCC had a, re- a comment period. That comment period has come to a close, and it seems that they have listened to their comment because they've they sort of modified their recommendations, starting uh, in March with saying um, you got to prove that people can't flash the RAM. And now the the recommendation says you got to prove that there's a way you can't let people violate uh, crank up the radio to the point that violates FCC standards. Way different proposal and I think the I think the government actually heard your your voice. We rule the world, Mark, because the Element OP nation got in on this, we save the internet. Yeah. So the the issue here was all about uh uh, FCC, Federal Communications Commissions, if you don't know, if you're outside the country or if you're inside the country and you don't know what that means, they, they, they control the airwaves. They control who can broadcast what and how much they can broadcast it. And it is possible, uh, on, you know, uh, a, a Buffalo type router or some, something like that. Uh, if you put DDWRT on it, you can crank up the radios so much that they are outside of compliance with FCC rules. Um, and there are places where that could potentially be dangerous, next to an Air Force base, next to an airport, next to, uh, you know, a, a hospital. Uh, it is potentially dangerous for that. And so the FCC, being tone deaf in all things technological, said, well, we just won't let people modify the firmware. They put out a request for comment. By golly, people did comment on it. And now they're saying, okay, we're still going to let you do that, but we need you. We need you to show us proof that they can't overtweak the radios, and that could be simply uh, by putting a radio in that won't go more than one milliwatt. I mean, uh, one watt, um, which I think is the standard. That would be simple. That that doesn't have anything. Doesn't take any way thing away from you to be able to flash it. It just puts the hardware in that can't go too powerful. So I really think this is going in the right direction. And we we bash the American government often enough. I want to give them props for doing the right thing on this one. Cool. Now let's bash Amazon some more. Uh, <laughs> security researchers say that Amazon has become, they're in the business of selling you malware now. That They are literally the everything store. You can get bacon, you can get donuts, and now you can get malware. Yes, uh, security researchers at, researchers at Cheetah Mobile have discovered potentially thousands of Android tablets for sale on Amazon that come pre-installed with a Trojan and the name of it's Cloud Soda. Um, and again, they probably just picked on Amazon because Amazon's the largest one. I'm sure you could go on Alibaba or any right. of the other Chinese ones. Or Walmart. Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, but so the thing is, these aren't like Amazon Fire, um, you know, Samsung Galaxy, um, anything like that. These are those cheap $40 imported things from China that have no name or the Guangjingjiwa printed on it. You know, the non-American name brand that there's no oversight. Um, And they've claimed that based on anonymous data that over 17,000 have been shipped to users, mostly in Mexico and the United States. And there was a comment uh, thread on this particular story where... You know, it was at least nagging you, um, 
having websites pop up over the full screen where you couldn't use the tablet and you couldn't get away with it if you reset it, it was still there. So, and again, this is the problem. This is a yet another problem of people wanting something but not wanting to pay for it. You want to spend $40 on this tablet and then you're mad because it doesn't do everything that that $2,000 iPad extra L with the case does. So, you know, if you're... And this is also a symptom, Seth, of having completely outsourced all manufacturing to China. Yeah. They make all the chips now. Yeah. And Amazon, yeah. I mean, you're not buying this from Amazon. Um, you're buying this from a company through Amazon or, you know, something like that. So yeah, this is, uh, this is the thing because you, because American public wants cheap devices, those devices cannot be made in America and they cannot be supported in America because the American worker makes too much money. You can, you can employ an entire factory in another country for what the price of part of the development team of one factory is in america so that's where it's going to go and that's just the way it is yeah and not all chinese people are bad people but some of them are and some of them own machines that make chips yep and it only takes one you know you could have you could have a thousand people over there and the person who's in charge of the final test that's the only one it takes to be bad. And that final test could be loading, you know, swapping out a chip, um, doing something, um, like that. And this could happen in any country. Obviously, most of the manufacturing's in China. So therefore, most of the problems are going to come from China right. just because that's where most of it comes from. And, and I instinctively distrust anything that comes from anonymous sources. So yeah. I'm going to put an asterisk next to this story entirely, but it's entirely believable. Because, you know, the Chinese companies aren't held to the same uh, regulations that other companies are. That's one of the reasons that we've outsourced everything to China, because it costs money to uh, uh, comply with regulations. There are fewer regulations, therefore they get more business. It's good for the, the country of China to, at this point in their development, be relaxed about what they let people do. Um, and I'm sure that this probably doesn't break any laws in China. Uh, so they're not doing anything illegal, um, but it's uh, certainly not a good thing for somebody else to own your tablet. Definitely not. And again, you know, I would just say, is it really good for China? You remember we did a few months ago that story right. um, where basically the uh, the lake of wasteland, sludge, yeah, the lake of sludge, and is that good? Is that good for the world that this uh, lake has become? uninhabitable by life forms because of the toxic sludge in it i mean it might be good for the bottom line but that doesn't make it good for the world the point i made then and i'll make it again now is every developing company country goes through this yep Um, i mean the cuyahoga river caught on fire uh uh, in in pittsburgh pittsburgh right um i think it was pennsylvania at least okay uh so anyway the the we we went through this uh, as a development country. Uh, you, uh, uh, the UK went through this as they developed. It's easy for us to look back on the backside of it and shake our finger at them and say, naughty, naughty, just because we're on the other side of it. China will also one day be on the other side of this. Yep. Um, so let's move uh, to another country across the pond, to Paris. Just a quick, I don't want to broach this too much 
because it's it's one of those hotbed political things that we could spend a whole show doing on the Geek Rant, Geek Rant show, but it's not appropriate on Everyday Linux. But uh, Paris, um, Paris went through a rough week um, uh, this week. They they got their firsthand dose of uh, terrorists attacking on their home soil, and um, and you know we stand uh, in spirit with you. Uh, here on this show that's all i'm gonna say but also paris airport got shut down not by jihadist but by windows 3.1 i could not believe this story um, 3.1 yes this is uh this particular story came from ars technica the um paris or o-r-l-y however you say that in french airport it had to close temporarily last Saturday after the failure of a system running 3.1 left it unable to operate in the fog. It uses a system called Decor to communicate runway visual range information to pilots uh, and in poor weather conditions such as fog. Um, this system is essential. And the vice, vice, which is a news agency there, quoted the Secretary General of France's air traffic control union that says the tools used by the controllers to run on four different operating systems that are all between 10 and 20 years old with Windows 3.1 being joined by Windows XP. There's a modern browser, a modern OS for you and unspecified Unix systems, not Linux, but Unix. He says that the systems are poorly maintained as well. Moreover, the age of these systems means that it's hard to find staff who can work <laughs> with them. Uh, he, he explains, we're starting to lose the expertise to deal with this type of operating system. In Paris, we have only three specialists who can deal with decor-related issues, and this problem is getting worse because one of them is retiring next year, <laughs> and we haven't found anyone to place him. Um, the, this last part is telling. According to France's transport minister, Airport systems will be upgraded by 2017. This union guy, however, is unconvinced, saying it will be 2019 at the earliest, perhaps even 2021. So let's just go ahead and let's go for a 30-year life cycle on Windows 3.1. Let, let me give you a tip. Virtual machine. <laughs> at very least, put on a model a modern machine virtualized. Any modern machine could run Windows 3.1 without batting an eyelash. Um, well, but does it have the interface? The COM ports? Yeah. Yeah. What it, maybe it's not COM. Maybe it's some specialized, not even EISA, but just ISA right. card and some <laughs> weird IBM jack that has to so You're be right. Made this you're absolutely right. This was, this was legacy hardware created for a purpose. And when things work, we don't mess with it. And it works. So they keep using it um, until the machine literally is going to fall apart. The, the component atoms that hold it together are going to, to uh, su su succumb to entropy at some point. And they don't have anybody who can do this. And it's still probably the best system that they have available. It's, it's, it's tr tragic and funny, but also, uh, you know, real at the same time. You know, I rem I might remember enough Windows 3.1 commands that I can go to Paris and work in the airport there. So <laughs> I know how to pull up solitaire. So, you know, that may have, maybe that's what broke it. Somebody pulled up solitaire and used all of its, uh, 256K of RAM. Or they made a custom Minesweeper layout with one too many mines. <laughs> it wasn't fog. It was those darn little minefields. Oh. 
I just, and, I could not believe this. Uh, no, I could believe it. Um, uh, but I just wanted to share Windows 3.1. This isn't the only thing. We're going to find way more. And, and you know, he, he talked about Unix, right? Those those Unix machines might have been made in, you know, in 84 as well uh, and just not upgraded. Uh, I, thought, I doubt this has to do with the software as it has to do with the hardware. Like you said, this customized hardware that nobody can make anymore. It's not that they can't find somebody who knows how to use Windows 3.1. They can't somebody find somebody who knows how to use this custom hardware and software. No, you take some 15-year-old kid and you set him in front of a Windows 3.1 computer. He'll right. be in counseling for the rest of his life trying to deal <laughs> with that thing. So what you do there is you 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 employ some smart guy and tell him how uh, to figure out how to do it with an Arduino, which has probably the same amount of power as this machine that they've got it running on, um, and you upgrade it. But for now... Uh, somebody just went over and rebooted the Windows machine, and it came up and went, da-da, and then everything was fine again. Uh, it's just great. This is this is awesome stuff. So, and again, yeah, this particular story came out of Paris, France. This exact same story could be replayed in San Francisco next week, right, you know, right. or the heart of Silicon Valley is running on DOS 6.2. They didn't even <laughs> upgrade it to 6.22. So, yes. uh, it's the legacy problem. Uh, and just something we're going to mention, Chris isn't here, so we won't have a deep discussion on it, but the, the much ballyhooed, uh, almost vaporware steam machine is finally starting to ship. Yeah. It, uh, this article is dated the 12th and that's whenever, um, the first two have are actually shipping now. And there's another one that's due in by the end of the month. And of course you can, download the steam client to any os and play it that way but if you want the actual steam box that they're hoping to uh can um compete with like the playstations and the xboxes those are starting to ship and you're going to pay anywhere from 500 to a thousand dollars for it so you better really really like it all right. Uh, that's all we got uh, in terms of the news. Uh, Seth, tell us, take us back to the old news. Tell us what happened this week in history. Well, I mean, this might this might very well help out the people at the French airport. Uh, uh, November the 15th, 1971, Intel releases the world's first commercial single chip microprocessor, the 4004. Wow. That happened. This So the 4004 is actually older than me. This week in history, uh, November 15th, 1971. Right. And then later on was the 6,000 series, then the 8,000 series, which became really popular in the 8086, then became the 8286 and the 8386. So, uh, but the 8088 came before the 8086. Yes, it did. <laughs> so that's one to wrap your head around people. Um, so yeah, the, that's fascinating. 1971. Modern computing, as we understand it, came into be. Yep. Uh, that was uh, five months before I was born. So I'm just, I almost grew up with computers. Yeah. It wasn't conceived before me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, but it came out before I did. So it was probably conceived long before I was conceived. Right. But there was uh, some overlap there. 1971. And that's not that long ago, right? It's 40 uh 45 years ago 44 uh it's amazing what can happen in 40 years that what i what i spaced out about last week when i was talking about a human generation right that's one human generation 40 years yep 
How many computer generations has that been? Dozens. Um, been a few. Fascinating stuff. All right. One last time, Seth, I'm going to give you the mic. Tell us what your uh, your opportunity to lower my productivity so that you look like a better hiring option is. Um, I came across this website, and I have to share can't-not-tweet-this.com. Can't-not-tweet-this.com. <laughs> it's... <laughs> You just it, have to click on it. Just click yeah. on it. It's a page well, that I'm, the only thing it does is tweet. And anywhere you move, the, the tweet button follows. You can't get I mean, you can move your mouse off the page, and yes, but anywhere yeah. on that page, the tweet follows. And if you click on it, you get a window pops up. And it says it wants you to log into your Twitter account and it will tweet on your behalf. Take annoying social media spamming to the next level. Can't not tweet this.com. That's awesome. So I thought if ever there was a link designed <laughs> for my show closing spectacular that did not sell used um, amusement rides, this was it. All right. Thank you, Seth. That was uh, entertaining for a brief moment there. I wonder, well, it showed it's been several, like 66,000 times it's been tweeted. I, I've already closed the browser. 61.6 thousand times that people have tweeted because they couldn't not tweet it. Right. All right. This is the part of the show where I tell you how you can contact us. If you feel that uh, that we went way off the, the reservation with this show, let us know. If you think you want to hear more stuff like this, social commentary and less technical, uh, let us know. If you think that... Uh, you know, uh, blue is your favorite color. Let us know. Uh, go to the the website, elementop.com. Click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. That sends a specially formatted email that gets priority in my inbox. Or you can e uh, email us directly at edl at elementop.com. That sends an email to all three of us. Or if you would like your voice to be heard right here alongside mine, you can dial 559-IAMOP. That is a free call uh, anywhere in North America. And that will give you uh, an opportunity to leave a voicemail on our Google Voice account, and we'll play it on the show. As we've said so many times before, this is listener-programmed radio. You say it, we do it, or at least we think about doing it. So we uh, we want to hear from you, and we love hearing from you. Uh, let's face it, we ran out of good ideas years ago. Um, <laughs> you guys are fueling the show at this point. So uh, contact us, let us know what you think. And as I often say, um, if you love the show, tell other people about it. If you hate the show, tell us about it. Uh, but the best thing you could do besides, you know, uh, kicking in your hard-earned uh, money over at Patreon or using the, the PayPal tip jar, the best thing you could do is tell others about it. Ideally, you would do both of those things. You would pay us and tell people about it. I'm not just money-grubbing. I'm just being honest. If you want this show to continue, it's hard to continue having incentive. It's hard to be passionate about something for six, eight, ten years, right? We're five years into this, and I still get excited about it. I still love doing it, but there are go there's going to come a time, and there have been times in the past when I'm doing it out of a sense of, of devotion, out of because I made a promise to you more than because I want to. And if I could, if and the more financial incentive you can give me, the better. It's just the way of the world. I I know I feel like a uh, I can I feel like I sound like a money grubbing uh, kind of guy, but it's just reality. Um, the the more you pay me, the more interested I am in doing the show. If you think the show's worth a buck, give us a buck. It's that simple. Seth, any final comments before we say goodnight? 
nope uh thanks everybody i loved talking for y'all i hope y'all enjoyed it as well and seth as always i thank you for being the best co-host i could afford on what i pay you uh and uh we uh hope you enjoyed this week's show we'll see you next week on one of the new limited edition episodes of everyday linux